Welcome. This is William Evans, and you're listening to A Living World Story. This is a continuation of a conversation with Jacob Lieberman about light, our immune systems, and the time we are in. Welcome again, Jacob. Pleasure to see you again, William. At the end of our last program, I told you I thought we were in a transition, a paradigm shift, a tipping point, and that if we're caught in tunnel vision, we become vulnerable to the consequences of not seeing change. Yeah. If we see um, what's happening with clarity and continue to learn, we can benefit from knowing which direction things are moving. You bring up a, an excellent point in its relationship to seeing clearly, not just at an optical level, but sensing life clearly. When I, when I work with people, one of the things that I urge them is when they're working with colors, for instance, and noticing how they respond to colors, whether they're comfortable or uncomfortable, we've been conditioned that no pain, no gain. You have <laughs> right. to push through things. I've heard that before. Yeah. But what I ask my clients to do is the instance they notice the subtlest amount of discomfort, to just be with that rather than trying to push through it. And the reason is that I'm trying to develop what I call a just noticeable difference. In other words, I'm trying to develop a level of awareness that is so subtle that it literally sees the invisible because that is real vision. Now, what does this have to do with the question you asked? Our field of vision, when you look at the, the eye, the retina of the eye, has about 135 to 140 million photosensitive cells. About 130 to 135 million of those cells are called rods. Rods function primarily in low light levels. They're very attuned to black and white, and they're incredibly sensitive to the subtlest movement. You could say that our rods are the precognitive aspect of our vision, almost a psychic aspect of us that senses things before we are consciously aware of them. The other five or six million cells are called cones. Cones are concentrated into an area of the eye called the macula or fovea and are responsible for seeing detail, 
scrutinizing things and seeing color. That's the that's a level of of um, clarity that we are designed to use when we perceive a potential danger. Prior to that, we're supposed to sort of feel life rather than analyze life. Why do I mention this? Whenever we worry or we work at things, our breath is attenuated. When the breath is attenuated, it means that we begin to shrivel. We begin to get smaller. We begin to deflate. The field of vision, our ability to see to our sides or our field of perception, responds exactly the same way to a loss of oxygen. When the breathing is held and there's less oxygen in the system, our field of vision constricts. When we concentrate on something, or what we call paying attention, which is not effortless presence, it's something that requires tension, the breathing halts, the field of vision constricts. Now, our field of vision is our ability to sense where we've been, where we are, and when we, where we're about to move to. You could say within the field of vision is the ability to sense the past, the present, and the future. We have the field of vision lets us know where we've been, where we're moving to next, and it gives us in a just noticeable difference where we're about to move to next, what we call the future. A paradigm shift takes most people by surprise because they're so busy in their idea and their beliefs about the way life is supposed to be that they miss the reality of life. Belief, interestingly enough, is the opposite of truth. Truth is what the Bible says sets you free. And so for me, my interest is truth beyond opinion. And so when you speak about this paradigm shift, and this is the most powerful paradigm shift humanity has ever experienced during our lifetime, none of us, living right now, except perhaps a small handful, were around for the pandemic of 1918. I don't think any of us have ever experienced so much divisiveness in life. Divisiveness is something that is part and parcel of a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift, when things all of a sudden, as you call it, a tipping point, it shifts. The thing that precedes a paradigm shift is perturbance, perturbation. 
It is the essential ingredient in physics, chemistry, biology that precedes expansion or evolution or transformation. Even the washing of our clothes doesn't occur because of the water and the detergent. It's the agitation cycle that makes it all come out in the wash. (laughs) And that is exactly what we're experiencing now. There is incredible perturbance on the planet. And when perturbance is occurring, the mind is very active because perturbance is the opposite of the belief of safety, security, and predictability, three qualities that have never existed on the planet because the only constant is change. And so there's an epidemic of perturbance going on right now, and that perturbance causes a holding of the breath, a restriction of our field of vision so that we don't see where we've been and we don't see where we're moving to. And when that exists, we don't see our inseparable connectedness. We don't see our unity. And when that unity is not visible, we have bifurcation. And this is where the expression comes, united we stand, divided we fall. Right. And so your question is so timely and so critical because more than ever do we require coming together. And yet more than ever, there is divisiveness. There is a lack of inclusivity for a perspective that is different. And because that inclusivity is lacking, it's dangerous. So we're we're at a paradigm shift, and that is the place That's not at one extreme or the other. It's right at the edge. I used to say the mystic swims in the same ocean the schizophrenic drowns in. That's where we are. If we can hold these disparate perceptions in our hands together, we have a chance of awakening into a new mystical state. But if we do not see this as two facets of the diamond of our humanity, then there's uh, the potential for something that is just the opposite of that, which is what This perturbation is all about. And so if we can just see that after the agitation, 
comes the spin cycle, and after the spin cycle, the machine comes to a stop, and we regain our stillness again. We just need to hold on, and we need to hold each other. We need to embrace that which seems like the opposite of us. Living life is like driving a car. You know, when you're driving from Aspen to Carbondale down 82, if you get too close to the side of the road, pedestrians who might be walking will feel endangered. If you get too close to the center, the cars coming on the other side will beep their horn. Our job is to keep the car in the middle of the lane, not to one side or the other, but in the middle. And that is what the opportunity is right now in our life, to keep our life in the middle of the lane. My job is to evoke and maintain a healthy balance. Yeah. And it's a good friend on the journey and through this transition. This is KDNK, and you're listening to a second conversation with Jacob Lieberman about light, life, and transition. You know, um, when you went to medical school, they said, you know, that the body is always moving itself toward homeostasis. Right. Toward balance. Now, what we know now is there's no such thing as homeostasis. There's something called homeodynamic. Right. The system is continually searching for balance, moving through it to something that is not in balance and then moving around and back through it again. It's continually in a state, in a dynamic state of subtly responding to the invitations, the guidance, the hurdles, the challenges of life. And our ability to sense those just noticeable differences is what allows our system to respond very seamlessly and very, very quickly. And that's what our body's doing continually. So homeodynamic, that search for balance is the most powerful aspect of our physiology. That's evolution. The body, life, is continually evolving, adjusting to everything, and it does it seamlessly because our bodies and our life are one. They're inseparable. That's why our bodies are continually responding to light. And so... If we can just allow ourselves to be guided, that balance that we are all seeking 
becomes the natural result of just living. And if we live gently, we perceive those changes more immediately and yeah. earlier, and we can make corrections earlier, get back toward balance, and it's a continual dance. It's a continual dance, yeah. And we were born to dance. <laughs> we were. And you know, when you, I mean, literally, when an infant is born, it doesn't know that it's an infant. It doesn't know that it exists as something separate from what it perceives as its mother or its father. An infant has no sense of skin coloration, of gender, of, uh, of preferences at all. It is uh, unscripted, if you will. It has a genetic makeup. It has probably conditioned responses that have evolved from one generation to the next. But we are hardwired to live without preferences. That is literally the way that we come in. All of our conditioning, and when you're living without preferences, that adjustment that you're speaking about, that balance, occurs just naturally. There's nothing that the infant does just in its beingness, it is moved one way or the other. The whole concept of doing is a conditioned response. It's normal, but it's not natural. My daughter was telling me yesterday how she was watching an egret flying she lives on the island here, and she was watching an egret flying onto the yard. And it was moving in a certain direction. And all of a sudden, a gust of wind came from one side and just took the egret in a different direction. And the egret didn't say, Ah, oh, God, I wanted to go this way. <laughs> it just took it. And the reason birds lie so effortlessly is they allow themselves to be taken by the flow of life, by the river of life. And so, you know, just her sharing that story makes me, reminds me of the fact that, you know, when we see a tree moving, we see the movement of the trees, and if if we didn't have any sense that there's something called wind, we would assume the tree was moving itself. But because we know wind exists, even though we can't see the wind, we know that the wind is actually animating the movement of the tree. question is, what's animating the wind? And that's a very important thing for all of us to consider because there's an invisible animating force that is moving all living things in a specific way 
so that each thing, whether it is an apple tree or a bear in the forest or a human being, can fulfill its reason for being. Right. And in addition to those timeless elemental influences, we live in the presence and in relationship with technology Yeah, that can interrupt our flow of life. Talk about that, Jacob. Yeah, we are living at a time where we're inundated with weapons of mass distraction. Yes, we sure are. And the technology is beautiful. It allows me on Maui to speak with you in Carbondale. Yes. As if there is no distance. Right. We get to share this same instance of time together. And so there's an incredible beauty of technology. It's a tool within the toolbox of our humanity. However, when the tool starts to control our lives, that's called addiction. And, you know, I sometimes go into uh, a place like Costco or the health food store or Whole Foods to go shopping. And it's interesting, you know, uh, I'm going to be 74 in November. Right. And I was born at a time where when you learned mathematics, they used to have these cards where you would learn the times tables, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And when you got good, they say you can do that in your head because we didn't have calculators back then. Right. So I find I go into the bank or I go into a store and the person says that'll be $19.39 and I give them a $20 bill and I know they have to give me 61 cents. It just comes immediately. But for them, they have to do something on their computer so that the computer tells them how much change they should give me. Now, that's a nice thing for your computer to be able to do. But then there's a part of our intelligence that starts to decline when it, when it becomes something we don't use that we then lose. So technology is a wonderful thing, but we mustn't forget about Mother Nature. And it's okay to use technology for some things and not for all things. So for me, I've had dishwashers in every house I've lived in, but I've never used it, not even once. My meditation, if I use a dish, is to wash it to clean it, to either put it in the dish drainer until it dries or to dry it and put it away. It's the completion of a task. 
It's the attention to detail. That's my meditation. And so while I use technology, I also like to do certain things in the old-fashioned way, working for it, making sure that it's done in an impeccable nature. Because for me, my life is my meditation. How I wash the dishes, how I set the table, how I make my bed, how I respond to phone calls, to messages, to emails, paying my bills. All those things are done the moment they enter my awareness. So technology sometimes says, well, I'll do that later. I'll prioritize. We don't realize that life has already been prioritized by a master intelligence well beyond anything we can imagine. The animating force of life, that which is animating everything in this universe, is beyond any concept we have. So I use technology, and I also use the brilliant technology of my nature. Yes. And that way I get the benefits of both. Thank you, Jacob. You're welcome. This is William Evans, and you've been listening to a Living World Conversation with Jacob Lieberman. This is KDNK. Thank you for listening.